All right, as promised at the top of the show, in this segment we're going to talk about electronic voting machines. Our guests are going to be Professor Matthew Bishop from UC Davis's Department of Computer Science, as well as Professor David Wagner from the UC Berkeley's Department of Computer Science. Dr. Bishop and Dr. Wagner were participants on separate teams which took part in the Secretary of State's top-to-bottom review of security issues surrounding California's three different electronic voting machines, which had previously been certified for use in state elections. The investigations addressed the issue of what sort of damage might be inflicted on voting systems by a malicious person setting out to modify the tabulated results of an election, and how such attacks could be neutralized or ameliorated in the future. The results of the study, conducted by 42 internationally recognized experts in computer science, electronic voting, law, and public policy, were that significant flaws were indeed present in all three systems tested. This led Secretary of State Deborah Bowen to decertify the electronic voting systems of Diebold Election Systems, Hart InterCivic, and Sequoia Voting Systems pending improvements in their security. This has led to a public relations offensive by the companies in question to portray the study as unrealistic and the Secretary's decision to decertify as irrational. Also protesting the decertification are some county officials who claim that electronic voting systems work just fine. The Secretary of State will hopefully join us next week, but today we are joined by the computer scientists who took part in the study. We'd like to welcome first Dr. Matthew Bishop from UC Davis's Department of Computer Science. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Dr. Bishop. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And I know this is going to be a, actually a rather difficult topic to squeeze down in, in, in a brief interval, and I just want to say right now you're, you're welcome to come back in the future, and I hope we will return to this topic in the future before we even begin. A lot of people have been concerned about the security or lack therein of electronic voting machines that were mandated by the Help America Vote Act. Uh, your team at UCD found there was reason for concern. W what issues did you examine and what did you find? Uh, we were asked to approach the machines um, as you know, voters, as election officials that playing um, those roles and see what, uh, how hard it was for us to compromise the votes on there, change the votes, um, cause the machines to do things they shouldn't do, and so forth. And we were um, asked to look at both the physical boxes themselves and also the software and so forth. Uh, we, uh, the teams, uh, the red teams, were able in, for all the machines to change votes, um, to compromise the machines, compromise the election. So you, you were able to actually do that with all three different types of machines? Yes. And I gather that some of the issues involved with security were, were uh, you mentioned, of the hardware, that the, basically the machines could be jimmied open by various means. Uh, basically, we, the testers were able to bypass uh, the locks on the machines. In some cases, they were able to even go around the seals, and some things weren't sealed. And then once you're in, you can basically push buttons, I guess, with a wire or something like that even. Uh, there were a number, number of things you could do. The main one was to um, change the firmware on the system so that uh, the vote-counting software no longer worked right. And some of these attacks were very subtle. One team uh, demonstrated that you could have the, um, uh, the screen and the paper trail agree, and if the voter didn't check carefully, the uh, wrong vote would be recorded on both. In other cases, they figured out there were ways in which they could um, change the votes, and then if the voter basically said, that's not how I voted, the software would then record the correct thing. Hmm. Uh, there were all sorts of other things that could be done as well. Well, there's been some very public demonstrations of how these machines have failed in the past. I know a Finnish uh, computer expert uh, showed that memory cards were a way of getting into the system, and I, I gather you confirmed that was a significant vulnerability. 
yeah, basically, if you can change the memory card, uh, you can do what you want. However, uh, Harry Hursty, whom I believe you're describing, mm-hmm. who I believe you're talking about, demonstrated that. It was also an earlier version of that attack was demonstrated at the Raba study in 2004. And, and how does that exactly work with a memory card in normal circumstances, and how would you subvert it? Um, obviously, I'm not going to go into details, but basically what happens is the memory card, when the system starts up, it looks to see what programs it's supposed to run. And in the Robis study, for example, uh, we found that it would look at a um, it would look at the memory card for the program. If the program were there, then it would go ahead and run that instead of running the one that was in memory. And so you put whatever you wanted on the memory card, and it would happily go ahead and run it. Now I'm not, I'm not saying whether that particular whether or not we we found that particular flaw, because I don't want to go into detail. But on the other hand, that flaw has been known to exist. And it's been demonstrated. And in reading the report, it sounds as though the secretary wanted this study done rather quickly and that uh, a lot of people felt that had they been given more time, they would have found numerous other ways to have, to have cracked the system. I, I don't know the law, but my understanding was she had a deadline of August 3rd to make the decision. So basically the reports, everything had to be done by um, the 20th or the 23rd. I don't remember the exact date. And it ended up giving us about four to five weeks, uh, the red team's four to five weeks to look at the systems. Both teams basically had to stop when they were uh, feeling very productive, and both teams felt they would have been able to do, they would have found other things had they continued. Well, there's been some criticism of your study already, and I'm sure there's going to be quite a bit more, which is why I hope that you'll come back uh, in in the future. But uh, let's start with the fact they've been criticizing you for saying that uh, your team had source code and and malicious person might not have that. Okay, two things. First off, the red teamers generally did not have the source. Most of the attacks that were found did not involve looking at the source. However, as far as a malicious person not having access to the source, that basically assumes companies protect the source and can keep it hidden. However, they can't keep it hidden from insiders. And also, there was a story on the APY, on the um, Associated Press, which said, for example, that um, defense contractors had information on their website that was endangering the lives of American troops. The news people called the company before they published the story and said, do you know about this? The company was horrified and immediately pulled it right off. If you can't protect information under those circumstances, what makes anyone think that the, um, that their, the election officials and in particular the voting machine companies can protect it any better? In this day and age, um, information leaks. And any defense that depends upon secrecy is going to fail. The only question is, how hard is it to get through? And with social engineering and a number of other human-oriented attacks, it turns out that it happens much more often than people think. Think of phishing. So by, by social engineering, you mean ways that people, you know, connive to, to you know, I call you up and, you, and I wheedle the information that I need out of you. Exactly. Um, do you remember the HP uh, Board of Directors scandal? the way they got the information about some of the uh, board of directors? I don't remember that, no. Okay. Basically, they needed to know who was making calls to reporters. So what they did was the investigators called up the phone company and pretended to be the members of the board of directors and asked for copies of the past bills and got them. Wow. That's called pretexting. It's illegal now. But that's an example of social engineering. So there's quite a bit of, I guess... Maybe you put in a false sense of security with the fact that these, these things are being kept secret, but they're really not. I don't know whether or not they really are, but if they are, you're going to be able to find the very people who want them will get them. 
What do you say to critics like Dan Walters, a columnist in the Sacramento Bee, who prominently was attacking the secretary's decision yesterday, claiming that the yours was an un- entirely unrealistic study, which ignored the normal security measures which would be in place in these counties? Probably the best way to explain why I disagree with that is let's think of the um, crash tests that the uh, government does on cars, where they drive cars into walls to see how the cars respond to crashes. Okay. Basically, the car manufacturers, by the same um, theory Mr. Walters is using, could say, well, those tests aren't realistic because, you know, sure, the cars, you know, crumble at two miles an hour, whatever the number is. But when you're driving, you have a driver who's very well trained and who is in full control of the car and is surrounded by other drivers who know exactly what they're doing. And they don't make mistakes, so the crash tests are completely irrelevant. (laughs) We basically were providing technical data to Secretary Bowen. We were not the top to bottom review. We were merely a component of it. We gave her the technical data. Then, like the government does, they interpret those tests. She interpreted the results of the tech, the results of the technical study in light of the policies and procedures that the counties and the state have on file. And so, um, Mr. Walters is confusing a small part of the top-to-bottom review with the entire thing. Also, the other thing is, in order to run a fully realistic test, you would have to do this on election day. And I've been told that that's a crime. Because the attackers would have to go in and try to alter the results of the election. Right. This is not something that most, that most technical people would want to do. Um, we basically demonstrated that it's feasible. Uh, Secretary Bowen looked at the conditions and essentially said, look, even under the conditions you've got, even under ideal conditions, assuming everything were enforced perfectly, some of these attacks would work. And she's absolutely correct. Um, I don't know the procedures very well. But I do know that some of the things we found can only be fixed by modifying the source code or redesigning the system. And I don't know of any procedures that could do that externally. Well, I, I was surprised in reading the study that uh, the, the major point of it, which seems to be lost, is that the, apparently the thrust was that uh, these problems found basically were fixable. Let me rephrase it slightly. Um, the problems that were found are, are, are basically a result of, as far as we could tell, of not building security in from the beginning. It seemed to us like security was added on. Um, If you completely redesigned the system, then many of these problems would go away. Uh, I'm talking specifically about the red team reports here, not the source code reports. David Wagner could speak to them better. All right. Uh, So uh, basically, um, whether or not these machines are fixable depends on your point of view. Uh, Certainly, you can do a lot better job than the vendors have done and I'm not sure whether or not patching the systems would solve everything. Well, I guess final question, Dr. Bishop, are you personally confident that electronic voting could be made secure? I don't know. It's really something that um, politicians, the election officials, the technical people, and ultimately the, um, the people, the voters, are going to have to decide. Uh, Dr. Matthew Bishop, we thank you very much for speaking with us. This issue is not going to go away, and I hope that uh, you'll return to this program again as, as this unfolds. I'd be honored to. Thank you. Dr. Matthew Bishop is with the Department of Computer Science here at UC Davis. Joining us now from UC Berkeley is Dr. David Wagner, Associate Professor of Computer Science, who also took part in this uh, top-to-bottom review done by the Secretary of State. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Dr. Wagner. What, what did your Berkeley team set out to examine, and, and, and what did you find? Well, we were commissioned by the state of California to uh, study the security of three of the voting systems that are widely used in the state of California. 
And we found uh, security flaws in all three of the voting systems we examined uh, that could open them up to attack. You divided the work between Davis and Berkeley. Uh, I guess I gather that uh, the team at Davis is trying to basically uh, break into the system, and you guys are working more with some of the software issues, or how did that work? Yes, that's exactly right. The the, the uh, team at Davis was studying um, the equipment hands-on, and we were examining the, the software of the equipment. So we worked together um, to examine the security of the systems. Well, there, there's been a lot of talk about the issues of source code. I know that uh, Dan Walters and others have already attacked your study, claiming that it was very unrealistic, that you had access to confidential information, source code, etc., that a malicious person might not have, or... And, and what do you say to that? Well, uh, uh, I guess I have to respectfully disagree with that. <laughs> um, we found um, uh, serious security problems that could be exploited by, by hackers under Election Day conditions. It's true that uh, some of the problems we found might require access to uh, machines, but um, with tens of thousands of these machines around the country, uh, it may be difficult, but certainly not impossible for, for someone intent on doing harm to get access to the machines. Well, we've kind of got a couple of separate issues here. People have talked about hackers, how maybe someone on the outside might hack into a machine and change an election. But I think that the, the more grave concern is maybe someone on the inside, a malicious person, might accomplish some mischief more than a hacker. That's a valid concern. Um, what we found was that um, these systems have effectively um, no technological controls, no effective technological controls um, that can... Uh, that would limit what such an insider could do. An insider could uh, install um, malicious software onto the central tabulator to count votes incorrectly. Um, uh, perhaps surprisingly, it also turned out that an insider could introduce a uh, malicious software that propagates to all the voting machines throughout the county, and it causes them to either misrecord votes or, or to um, fail to start up on Election Day. So one person working his way into one machine could then affect every machine in the county. That's right. A second uh, class of flaws we found um, was that these systems are, are susceptible to viruses, to special viruses, uh, malicious code that propagates from machine to machine. And in particular, what we found was that um, an individual um, wouldn't even have to be an insider, wouldn't have to have any kind of special access, could introduce malicious code onto one of these voting machines. And that malicious code could then spread um, from the machine to the county central's computers and then from the county central's computers in the next election out to potentially um, all the machines in the county. So in the worst case, uh, a single individual uh, could potentially uh, introduce a malicious software that spreads to all the machines in the county, and that's, that's troubling. I, I gather the thrust of a lot of what you were doing was basically workarounds for people that w did not have the source code in spite of the criticism that uh, you, you had that and that made all the difference. We were chartered to examine the security of the system. We were asked to look for potential problems. Do these systems have any problems? We weren't asked to look for solutions. The kind of access we were given is, is, is very standard in the industry. It is similar methodology to what Microsoft uses to um, proactively look at their own software for flaws. It's standard throughout the computer software industry. So there really was nothing unusual here in that respect. And say I took a job in a, in a county somewhere to take part in the voting process. It'd be information that, uh, that I, as a worker in the county, might, might have, a, have available? Counties would normally uh, not have access to source code. Okay. Manufacturers of this equipment treat their source code as uh, proprietary 
uh, trade secret, intellectual property. They're, they're very reluctant to disclose the source code, except when they're forced to. Um, so county officials normally wouldn't have access to the kind of source code that we had. But I want to warn you that um, don't think that means that these voting systems are safe from individuals who don't have source code, because many of the attacks we found um, could be perpetrated by an individual who did not have access to source code. Source code makes it possible for us to proactively find vulnerabilities uh, uh, more quickly, and, and it certainly would also make it possible for a hacker to find the vulnerabilities more quickly. But, but hackers attack computer systems all the time without source code. For instance, hackers are hacking Microsoft uh, Windows machines every day, even though the source code to those Windows machines are not widely available. I understand, too, that one flaw in the systems was that people rely on things like Microsoft and, and, and commercial systems that are, that are themselves vulnerable. That's right. Um, one of the things we found was that um, at the county central location, these voting systems rely on uh, Microsoft Windows operating systems, which aren't um, locked down as tightly as they should have been. And um, that, that introduces some vulnerabilities, both against um, insiders as well as enabling um, uh, viruses to spread more quickly. And speaking of things not being locked down, I know one blogger uh, published a thing yesterday. He was in Texas. He walked into a Diebold factory, strolled in, and photographed pallets of unguarded voting machines. Uh, and I noticed on the, in the UC Berkeley um, press release on this, I was shocked to learn that people have bought them on eBay. So what about the issues of tampering or sabotage on once you've got a hold of a machine? Well, that's right. That's a, that's a serious issue. That's one of the things we found in our study was that, was that the um, – tampering with a single machine could affect all of the votes cast in an entire county. So you really can't afford to make any mistakes here. Um, your procedural and physical controls have to be um, very rigorous. That's going to be challenging. That's, that's not an easy problem when you have hundreds or thousands of machines. There's a major logistic challenge in, in providing that kind of security when these machines have to be delivered to polling places before the start of the election, um, are potentially stored overnight and polling places beforehand. So there's no question that the county election officials have got, have got some work to do, and, and their job isn't easy, and I don't envy them at all. Well, your study noted that some of the problems were, were, were fixable. I will ask you the same question you asked Dr. Bishop. To, do you personally have confidence that electronic voting could be made secure? I think that uh, electronic voting holds a lot of promise. I'll also say we've got, some work, we've got our work cut out for us. Well, Dr. Wagner, we appreciate your speaking with us. This issue is not going to go away. We hope to, to come back to it in the future and hope at that time you can come and, and, and speak with us again. Thank you. Again, Dr. Wagner, thanks so much. Dr. David Wagner is Associate Professor of Computer Science at UC Berkeley. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM. Let's take a short break.